What's up, everyone? Welcome to the latest episode of Note to Scene. This week is our annual 10 Biggest Bands in the Scene episode. So we're going to do a radio rundown and then work our way through the list. You can listen to the official Note to Scene radio show over at 94.3 The X in Colorado every Saturday night from 8 to 10 p.m. local time. If you want to check it out and you're not in the area, you can download the station's app. Just search 94.3 The X in the App Store and tune in this Saturday. As always, you can listen to the songs mentioned during this episode on the Note to Scene Spotify playlist. And if you have any comments, questions, or requests for deep dives, email me at notetoscene at gmail.com. All right, so this week on our all-time low tracker update, we have the final update we've all been waiting for. Monsters has officially hit the Hot 100 chart at number 88. Besides a Day to Remember song with Marshmallow in 2019, I believe this is the only other scene song to break the Hot 100 since 21 Pilots. It's a huge win for the band, and it's been awesome watching this song climb to where it's at right now, but it's still far from done. This week, we still have them sitting at number 31 on top 40, but still increasing in plays from last week, so it's up over 2%. It's still making gains, and that's what we want to see bottom line. Over at Alternative Radio, Monsters falls to number 3, but it's still getting a ton of spins and looks like it's going to be a slow fall off there, which will help their Hot 100 positions over the next few weeks. Back over at Top 40, MGK and Black Bear are inside the Top 20 at number 19 and up over 6% in plays from last week. And then back over at Alternative Radio, IDK Howe take back the number 1 spot, which is awesome to see. We're going to talk about them a little later on in this episode too. Rock Radio shows a lot of the same things we saw last week. I Prevail still at number 3. Asking Alexandria actually jumped two spots from 13 to 11. It's going to be really interesting to see how high this one can get. Their last radio single was Anti-Socialist, and it peaked at number 3, giving them their highest position ever. If they can get two top 5 singles in a row off this new album, that's a big look for sure. Bring Me the Horizon's Teardrops jumps two spots to number 19, and it's up over 17% in plays from last week. And finally, Architects Animals is still at number 24, but up over 11% in plays from last week. So we're kind of in a holding pattern between all-time low on Top 40 and Architects on Rock Radio, but both are still getting more plays week to week, which is the most important thing. All right. That does it for this week's radio rundown. So, welcome to the 2021 edition of Note to Scenes, 10 Biggest Bands in the Scene episode. This is my favorite episode to do every year, and this year honestly made me the most excited since we started doing the show in 2017. Lots of shuffling going on and some new names in the mix making some big moves. But before we get into the list, I always want to lay the groundwork so people understand the parameters and what everything is based off of. So first off, these are bands that are still active in the scene currently, which excludes breakout bands. Scene breakouts are Blink-182, Paramore, Fall Out Boy, Panic of the Disco, My Chemical Romance, 21 Pilots, etc, etc. Breakout means that that group has received consistent mainstream traction, including Hot 100 chartings, Top 40 radio play, multiple notable first week totals, amphitheater plus venue caps, etc, etc. The last scene band to do this was 21 Pilots, and before them it's really difficult to say, which puts into perspective how far the scene has fallen from mainstream relevancy over the last decade. 
Now, secondly, the artists on this list are determined through a bunch of factors, including streaming, first week sales, most recent tour routings, radio play, social media relevancy, and a few other things. This year was really difficult to not have any recent tours to go off of. I mean, anytime an artist announces a headlining tour, the first thing I look at are the venue sizes. As I've mentioned many times on the show, most scene bands over the last decade have capped out at the House of Blues level or slightly above, so probably around an average of around 1,500 caps. The way the industry used to work during Emo's golden age, but really even more so before that, is managers, labels, and booking agents would look at first week album sales and determine from them, among a few other things, what they believed an artist could pull when it came to locations and venue sizes. Now, thanks to the internet, social media, and streaming services, and so much more, all of that and a whole hell of a lot more is taken into consideration. The cool thing for us is a lot of that kind of stuff is public info. So if we look for it, we can connect the dots and get a rough estimate of a band's size. Also, after I'm done with the list, I'll give a few bubbling outside the top 10 bands. Some are on the downswing and some might actually make their way into the top 10 next year. But okay, now that we laid the groundwork, let's get into the list. Coming in as the 10th biggest band in the scene in 2021, we have one of the biggest underdogs the scene has ever produced, Dance Gavin Dance. They made their first appearance on the list last year, also at number 10. If it wasn't for the pandemic, I think they would have grown a ton more than they did this year. They dropped a new album called Afterburner that got completely derailed by the lockdown, forcing them to not only delay the physical release of the record, but their headlining tour that they had scheduled for the lead up to the album's drop as well. That tour was going to be huge for the band to push pre-orders, and with their last album doing 30,000 first week, I honestly thought they were going to get close to 40,000, if not break it. But shit hit the fan, the tour was cancelled, they still managed to have a surprising first week of 23,000, but it has really just felt like a year that could have been for the band. I really hope as soon as regular touring can come back that they're able to just hit the ground running as if nothing ever happened. They've never streamed overly well, but even with dropping a new album this year, they've only increased about 83,000 monthly listeners from the beginning of 2020 from 917,000 then to 1 million now. But this band has shown time and time again that they have the power to defy every odd stacked against them. So even with a global pandemic hitting right at the same moment they were about to usher in the biggest cycle of their career, I absolutely have confidence that they can pull through and overcome this. It all just depends on their next record and what the post-pandemic steps are, but we'll just have to wait and see. All right, moving on to number nine, probably my favorite band on the list this year, Architects. This is their first time on the list, and I am so stoked they're here. At the end of September, before the release of their single Animals, they had 728,000 monthly listeners on Spotify. Now, about four months later, they have 1.5 million, which puts them at the third highest of seen metalcore bands right now. In October, they weren't even in the top 10. So the situation with Architects is one we're going to run into with one other band on the list this year as well. They're significantly bigger outside of the U.S., Over the last few years, they have headlined Wembley Arena and Alexandra Palace. Wembley is a 12,500 cap and Alexandra is a 10,400 cap. 
Architects also just filmed their live stream concert at Royal Albert Hall, which is a 5200 cap. So they rented out a 5000 plus venue just to put on a live stream with wild production on top of it. Most bands are filming their live streams in cheap production centers, and most are putting on some dope shows with those spaces that they have, but the fact that Architects had the money to rent out the venue and do all the production they did shows how much they have in their pockets right now. Over here in the States, it's a little bit of a different story. They've spent really the last decade generating their first real momentum. Their last album, Holy Hell, only did around 8,000 first week, and they usually only headline House of Blues-sized tours over here. But with that being said, they're currently having their biggest moment at US Rock Radio with Animals knocking on the door of the top 20 as we've been documenting every week. And just with that song alone, it was so easy to read between the lines of what their goals are right now. I said it on the show when they dropped it, they are ready to be a big rock band. And they're giving it the full US push. Epitaph got a number one rock radio single last year with Falling in Reverse's Popular Monster. Now, I don't think Animals will get to number one, but if they could break the top ten, holy shit, what a win that would be for them. All in all, Architect's trajectory has hit a significant incline over the last few years, and they're about a month away from releasing the biggest album of their career. I cannot wait to see what 2021 holds for this band. Alright, so the number 8 band on the list in 2021 becomes a more difficult conversation every year, and that is Pierce the Veil. Obviously, there is a lot to unpack here, but unlike the rest of the scene, the pandemic didn't really affect their activity status. We haven't had any consistent public movement from them since the end of 2017, when their drummer Mike Fuentes was accused of sexual misconduct. Instead of kicking him out, they basically said, we're just going to take some time away to figure things out, which was band code for, we're going to go silent for a while and hope you all forget about this. But at the end of the summer of 2018, I ran a story on Loudwire after they teased their return for the first time. In it, I mentioned the allegations against Mike, which are what led to the band taking the break in the first place. If you've been on the media side of things for as long as I or Rabob have, you start to get a feeling when artists aren't going to be happy about a story being run. I had that feeling in my gut about that one. I just knew someone was going to reach out and ask that we take out the mention of Mike and the allegations. And sure as shit, Vic direct messages Loudwire on Twitter, and I've never told this story publicly, but he asked if we could just not mention the allegations against Mike and our Pierce the Veil coverage moving forward. And that was almost two and a half years ago now. So fast forward to earlier this year, and Pierce the Veil does a quarantine live stream where they perform Hold On Till May. Quick side note, I mean, remember when the government told us the pandemic would be over last May? That's why Pierce the Veil played this fucking song. (laughs) Anyways, they end up trending from it, which surprised the hell out of me, but it drew a ton of scene nostalgia out of the woodwork, and also with that nostalgia came people being like, so we're just not going to talk about Mike. And then randomly, a few months later, after all of this completely blew over, Vic absolutely tone deaf, replied to a fan on Instagram asking if Mike would be on their next album. He said, actually, no, Mike left the band back in 2017, but we're currently working on a new album and hoping to start touring again next year. 
yeah, literally everyone was like, dude, you really do think your fans are dumbasses, don't you? What that livestream was, was Pierce the Veil testing the waters. That was their most public active moment since they took a break, and people called them on their shit big time. So now Mike is out of the band, even though if they hadn't gotten any backlash, Mike would absolutely still be in the band. Listen, when all of this shit first happened, I thought there was no way Vic would ever do Pierce without his brother. It's like Gerard and Mikey Way. Mikey Way is the ultimate emo tagalong story ever. But that's a story for a different time. For Pierce, so much time has passed since they last toured and were a real active band, and plus, after the pandemic, it's definitely going to be more feasible to me that Vic would move on without Mike. So Pierce is in a bad spot overall. On top of all of this, and before it came public about Mike, their last album, Misadventures, undersold its hype first week. It did 54,000, but anyone who remembers the post-collide with the sky hype knows what I'm talking about when I say this was the scene band from 2013 to 2015. It felt like they were bigger than Bring Me the Horizon in 2015. So I was expecting 75,000 to 80,000 first week. When they did 54 and the album was what it was, I knew they were going to lose a little wind in their sails on that cycle. But their single circles did get them their first rock radio play of their career, and they've actually increased from 1.4 million monthly listeners on Spotify to 2 million since last January by literally doing nothing. So with those two things, alongside the fact that they were able to trend on Twitter off of a shitty livestream performance of one song, tells me they do still have fans out there. But how much of that is nostalgia and will they care about a new album after everything that has happened? I really don't think so. I could see this next album doing well under 20,000 first week and Pierce the Veil officially get knocked off the top 10 list. Every year we've done this episode, they've fallen. In 2017, they were number 4. 2018, they were number 5. 2020, they were number 7. And 2021, they're number 8. But at the end of the day, even though signs are pointing that way, we have no actual data yet that says they're any smaller than number eight right now. Believe me, I wanted so badly to knock them off this list and bump Architects and DGD up, but like I said, this is what we know for now, and I do believe once this next album comes out this year, we'll finally see them fall off. All right, moving on to number seven, we have Ask Alexandria. They also got screwed by having to drop their latest album during the pandemic. They were one of the early ones alongside Dance Gavin Dance, Enter Shikari, and a few others. It was called Like a House on Fire, and to be honest, between the pandemic fucking their first week up and how shitty I thought the album was, I wondered if they would even make the list this year. But defying the odds yet again, their single Anti-Socialist became the highest charting rock radio single of their career, peaking at number three, and as we've been talking about on the show over the last few months, their follow-up single is currently sitting at number 11. Ask Alexandria is slowly but surely becoming a rock radio mainstay, and on top top of that, before the pandemic hit, they had been doing a ton of big rock radio support tours with bands like Shinedown and Breaking Benjamin, which is exactly where they want to be right now. They also have 2.4 million monthly listeners on Spotify, a lot of which is back catalog for sure, but I mean, you've got to give Danny props for literally will 
fueling rock radio asking Alexandria into existence. We'll see what the future holds for these guys. I did not see the radio success coming last year, and it's really the only thing that is holding them on right now. But the fact that they're about to have the two of their biggest singles to date go back to back definitely says something. Gonna have to keep an eye on them to see where they fall in 2022, though. Alright, coming in at number 6 this year is one of my favorite bands in the scene, Parkway Drive. The last two albums this band has released, Ire and Reverence, have been two of my favorites over the last decade. They evolved from a fuck you heavy metalcore band to a stadium metalcore band. I go on runs all the time and listen to songs like Vice Grip and I Hope You Rot and I feel like a cross between Rocky Balboa and a Viking from Lord of the Rings or something. And they don't just sound like they play to thousands of people, they do. In 2019, they headlined Wacken Open Air Festival in Germany. For those who don't know, Wacken is one of the biggest metal festivals in the world. They have sold out 75,000 tickets every year since 2011. Obviously, the fest was canceled in 2020, but you get the idea. This thing is bigger than you can even imagine, and Parkway headlined. They documented that along with the entire rest of their career in their documentary Viva the Underdogs. I consider that required watching for any young heavy bands out there. Be sure to take notes because if there's one band that has taken every necessary step to make it to the next level time and time again, it's Parkway. Right before the pandemic hit, they had announced a North American headliner where they were going to play amphitheaters and arena. So we're talking six, seven, eight, nine, even a 10,000 cap in Chicago they were scheduled to play. And they were gonna take out Hatebreed, Knocked Loose, and Fit for a King. Of all the tours I hope get rescheduled after the pandemic, this is really close to the top of the list. Parkway is the perfect band for a band like Knocked Loose to take notes from and model their moves after. I hope we eventually see Knocked take what they're doing with Metalcore and figure out how to make it sound as big as Parkway does. But for Parkway, we haven't even talked about their stats in Australia. Every album they've put out besides their latest, Reverence, is certified gold, and I fully expect that one to get certified in the near future. Both Ire and Reverence debuted at number one on Australia's top 200 equivalent chart. I mean, Parkway is a mainstream success in Australia. The one thing this band doesn't have going for it is that, much like most other metal bands, they just don't stream well. They currently have 1.2 million monthly listeners on Spotify, and that's exactly what they had last year at the beginning of January. But I also truly believe that metalheads just still consume music differently. Instead of streaming, they're still wearing CDs out or buying them on iTunes. So I do think people are actually listening to Parkway and not just coming out to the shows. We're just not able to quantify it because a lot of it is still through old school terrestrial platforms. But I only expect this band to continue climbing this list. I mean, so much has changed for them over the last five years, and I can see them hitting the ground at a dead sprint as soon as the pandemic is over. Okay, moving on to the fifth biggest band in the scene right now, I Prevail. This one is interesting because they were number three last year and they dropped two spots this year, but I don't think it's because they became any smaller. It's just that the bands that passed them up had bigger years. Their last album, Trauma, has sold around 70,000 traditional units at this point, so that's without streaming, in about a year and a half. I always keep an eye on the bands who can still move 100,000 traditional units on an album cycle. Not many scene bands can still do it, but the ones that do are always the ones at the top. 
They've increased from 2.6 million monthly listeners last January to 3.2 million now. They were supposed to go out on an arena tour with Papa Roach and Five Finger Death Punch in 2020. They would have played an 18,000 cap in Chicago, 19,000 cap in New Jersey. You get the idea. And that was the perfect spot for them. Not to mention Ice Nine Kills was going to open that tour, which I believe would have been the biggest of their career. Getting exposed to those massive audiences is so crucial for both I Prevail and a band like Ice Nine Kills. Landing those runs are the goals for most scene bands at this point. Such a shame that 2020 was nearly a complete wash for so many bands, but I Prevail will have a new album out next year, and we'll see what tours they're able to land once the pandemic's over. They have cemented themselves as mainstays at rock radio at this point, as we've talked about time and time again on the show, so 2020 wasn't a decline year for I Prevail, it just wasn't as much of an incline as two other bands we're about to talk about. One of which, coming in as the fourth biggest band in the scene right now, falling in reverse. And before I go any further, I just want to reiterate that this is not an opinion list. All of this is based on data. I know there are quite a few people who do not want Ronnie Radke to have the success that he's getting right now, but the truth is, falling in reverse is bigger than it's ever been. And I'm not even going to talk about how Ronnie has turned into a Twitch star. But Falling in Reverse has become a powerhouse. Last year, they released a standalone single called Popular Monster. In 2020, it not only became Falling's first number one rock radio song, but it was certified gold in the US, meaning it has sold over 500,000 units between pure sales and streaming. Right before the pandemic, Ronnie capitalized on the nostalgia wave by doing an anniversary tour for The Drug In Me Is You, which had also just been certified gold. It was a House of Blues sized tour, but most of the dates sold out, which is always a flex that says I'm ready for the next level. Falling's Facebook page uploaded a pretty low quality pic of Ronnie for his birthday a few weeks ago in December, and that shit got over 45,000 likes. There is a portion of scene Twitter that certainly has Ronnie on a full blacklist, but he seems to be thriving pretty much everywhere else, and that shows in falling success. In January of last year, they had 2.4 million monthly listeners on Spotify. Now they have 3.4 million, and it only keeps going up. The next Falling album should see them break 4 million. It's just been an insane time to watch Ronnie shoot himself in the foot time after time again and somehow get back and start running even faster than he was before. Over 15 years in the scene, and he's just now becoming the biggest he's ever been. We'll see what 2021 holds, but I think falling is only going to get bigger from here on out, and Ronnie will be knocking on the scene's top three at this time next year. This year's third biggest band is the first time they've ever been this low on the list. A day to remember. We have been witnessing the fall of this band over the last five years. From their awful handling of the sexual misconduct allegations against their bassist Josh Woodard, to their new singles really just not performing well at all, the ADTR camp should be concerned about this next album. Right now, they're scheduled to release Your Welcome on March 5th through Fueled by Ramen. It's kind of wild because this is technically their first major label album, and they've been royally fucking it up since the beginning. 
Last fall, they released their first single from the album, Degenerates. It was a pivot from their dark Avenged Sevenfold fan grab that was Bad Vibrations into a terribly misguided stab at an alternative audience. This song sounded like a local metalcore band tried to make a 21 Pilots song, and it flopped. It only made it to number 29 on rock radio before falling off, and it streamed like shit. And before people, or fuck the band, comes at me saying it has millions of streams, compared to another band on this list that ADTR outpaced the whole first half of the last decade, they're falling off big time. And with each single they've released, they've proven how much further they're falling behind. Their new single, Brick Wall, has 2.2 million streams on Spotify, and they dropped it almost two months ago. The number one band on the list this year dropped singles in 2020 that did half of those streams in the first 24 hours they dropped it, and did five times over the course of two months. Listen, a day to remember will always be a day to remember. They're always going to have their massive back catalog and be able to pull crowds off that alone. But people are going to stop checking for new music, and that's the difference between being an active band and a nostalgia band. Go read through the YouTube comments on Brick Wall. People don't understand how they waited so long for new ADTR, and it sounded like that mishmash of poorly executed concepts. We're two months away from a new A Day to Remember album that has been delayed multiple times over the course of almost a year and a half, and hype levels are at an all-time low. The future of ADTR is at stake here. Do they get their shit together and make something out of this mess, or is this album the beginning of a huge step down for them? We're going to find out in about two months' time. But enough about A Day to Remember. The number two band on this list this year is much more exciting to talk about. All Time Low. Anyone who listened to the show in 2020 knows how big of a year they had because of their single Monsters with Black Bear. The song started as a slow burn on alternative radio, and once it broke out of the top 30, I was like, okay, there's something a little different about this. the way this song is moving. I think they might be onto something here. And sure as shit, nine months later, they have a Demi Lovato remix under their belts, notable top 40 radio play, mainstream playlist ads on Spotify, and their monthly listeners are skyrocketing. A year ago, they had 3.3 million monthlies, and now they have 6.3 million. That's the biggest jump of any band on the list in 2021. Wake Up Sunshine was an interesting proposition for the band. It finally showed a lane for them to take and grow up. It's such a shame that they had the biggest song of their career during a global pandemic because they could have walked through a ton of open doors last year if they could just move. But as we know, everything was shut down. But this slow burn they're on at top 40 right now might work out in their favor as long as they keep climbing. Because, fingers crossed, say the pandemic is over by July and the song is inside the top 10 at top 40, they can hit the ground running hard and schmooze over all the major top 40 stations with in-person appearances and then use that goodwill for whatever next single they drop. And that's their next move. Milk Monsters for literally everything it's worth and have a Lucy ready to drop as soon as Monsters falls out of rotation and gets the biggest push of the band's career. It can really set them up for the first era of all-time low that has consistent mainstream success. But that's all down the road. Right now, they need to focus on monsters and make it as big as they can. They broke the Hot 100, so now it's all about pushing that ceiling higher and higher. I am so excited about this band, and it will never not blow my mind that I'm saying that in 2021. 
All right, and finally, the biggest band in the scene reclaiming their title for the third straight year, Bring Me the Horizon. I stand by saying these guys have made missteps over the last few years, but they've doubled down on being a rock band and not pivoting to alt or top 40 roots. And even though that has placed them inside a much smaller box, they're still putting out some of the most innovative music the genre has at this point. This year, they released their first installment of their post-human EP series. Every single easily received over 1 million YouTube streams within the first 24 hours, and they even trended off of a few of the drops on Twitter. They're the only scene band who can do that. Before the pandemic, they were playing 5,000 plus caps in the US, give or take here and there, and even bigger in the UK and Europe. They are still leading the entire scene in monthly listeners on Spotify with 6.4 million currently, which is up from 5.1 million a year ago. So although they haven't had the radio success over the last few years that I'd like to see, they're still outstreaming the rest of the scene. It's kind of the opposite of Parkway Drive if you lay it all out. And as far as their performance overseas goes, they're basically a mainstream band in the UK at this point. They easily make it on the Hot 100 equivalent chart whenever they drop a new single. And what's most impressive is they're doing everything on their own terms. They aren't folding for the industry. They want to bring rock back, and this is the way they think they can do it. Will they? I mean, I don't think so, but they sure as hell are making things interesting to watch, and I hope I'm wrong on that one. Okay, so before we wrap up, I want to highlight some bands that are bubbling outside of the top 10 right now. One that really caught my eye in 2020 has been I Don't Know How But They Found Me, which is the duo of ex-Panic of the Disco member Dallin Weeks and ex-Falling Universe drummer Ryan Seaman. They just got their first number one song on alternative radio and currently have 2.1 million monthly listeners on Spotify. I mean, they sound like if 21 Pilots made Panic of the Disco is pretty odd. I have a gut feeling about this band that they're going to make a huge splash on this top 10 list next year and actually eventually break out of the scene. The math is there, they have a legit stan fan base that's active, and they don't sound like a scene band, which is probably the biggest thing they have going for them that's going to get outside ears on them. Another band bubbling outside of the top 10 is Waterparks. I have never hid my disdain for this band. I mean, they had massive looks just handed to them when they were just getting their feet underneath them four or five years ago. From magazine covers to main stage warp tour placement, all because the scene just didn't have any other bands to back. But regardless, they have made some actual good moves over the last two years. They have 1.5 million monthly listeners on Spotify and got updrafted from Hopeless to 300 Entertainment, which is the same label as Megan Thee Stallion and Young Thug, among others. Motionless and White is also right outside the top 10. They made the list once back in 2017, but their major label debut on Roadrunner was a big step down for them, and that caused them to fall out of the top 10. But over the last few years, you know, they put out a new album that broke even in first week sales and actually had the biggest rock radio moment of their career with it. They currently have 1.6 million monthly listeners on Spotify, and their top five songs are all from their last two albums, so they aren't relying on nostalgia too much yet, which is a good growth sign. We'll see, though. Back in 2014, when they dropped Reincarnate and did over 30,000 first week, I thought they were going to be like the next Rob Zombie. Then they got updrafted to Roadrunner, but the next album kind of flopped and had their first week cut in half. So their trajectory has already had a downturn, and it's so difficult to get turned around at that point. 
but they've certainly leveled it currently. We'll see what their next album cycle brings and what things look like for them in a post-pandemic world. Another band bubbling outside of the top 10 that unfortunately I don't think will ever break inside is Enter Shikari. They are massive in so many other places throughout the world other than the US. They're basically a mainstream band in the UK and play huge venues, but when they come over to the US they play around 400 cap clubs. That's one of the most significant imbalances of any band in the scene. Bring Me, Architects, hell, even While She Sleeps can pull more in the States. Plus, they do not stream well just in general, with only just over 500,000 monthlies on Spotify. And Shikari has really just moved on from trying to grow over here, which they should. I mean, this many years into their career, it's just a better business decision to focus on what works for them now. But I highly recommend their new album they put out last year, Nothing Is True and Everything Is Possible. It was one of my favorites of any genre in 2020. Three other groups that I don't know if they will break the list next year, but maybe in two if they keep making the right moves. Spirit Box, Point North, and Stand Atlantic. Spirit Box has been going up at a quick pace online over the last year. For those who don't know, they're fronted by Courtney LaPlante, who replaced Krista Cameron and I wrestled a bear once. And Point North and Stand Atlantic streams have both gone up big time in 2020. They each put out really refreshing albums for the pop punk world, and I highly recommend both of them. Couple bands that have fallen out of the list over the last few years and are on the downturn are Sleeping with Sirens, Neck Deep, Beartooth, Black Veil Brides, and Of Mice and Men. The only band out of this crop close to the top 10 anymore is Neck Deep, and at this point I'd still say they're fairly close because of their performance and pull overseas. But they've fallen quite a bit in the US over the last three years, and that's tugged down their overall relevance. Sleeping's major label disaster, Gossip, put the final nail in their relevance coffin. Black Veil's novelty just finally wore off. I mean, Andy should go into acting full-time. I guarantee he could make a whole hell of a lot more money over there at this point. Of Mice and Men is a far cry from where they once were at their peak about seven years ago. And Beartooth is probably comfortably inside the top 10, but they haven't had the growth over the last three or four years that they needed to for them to stay on the list. All right, everyone, that is a wrap for the 2021 10 Biggest Bands in the Scene episode. Thank you so much for listening. This is always my favorite episode of the year to do, and it means a lot that people actually want to listen. Next week, we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming of deep dives. I have a few in mind, but nothing set in stone yet, so if there are any bands you want dives on, just let me know. I want to do episodes on stuff y'all actually want to hear. If you have any other questions, feel free to email me at notetoscene at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Note to Scene on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you enjoy the show, please drop a review on iTunes. I'd appreciate it very much. Until next week, stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.